Hear the word of the Lord. Upon hearing this, Daniel, also known as Belshazzar, was overcome for a time, frightened by the meaning of the dream. Then the king said to him, Belteshazzar, do not be alarmed by the dream and what it means. Belteshazzar replied, I wish the events foreshadowed in this dream would happen to your enemies, my lord, and not to you. The tree you saw was growing very tall and strong, reaching high into the heavens for all the world to see. It had fresh green leaves and was loaded with fruit for all to eat. Wild animals lived in its shade, and birds nested in its branches. That tree, your majesty, is you. For you have grown strong and great. Your greatness reaches up to heaven, your rule to the ends of the earth. Then you saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump and the roots in the ground, bound with a band of iron and bronze and surrounded by tender grass. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the animals of the field for seven periods of time. This is what the dream means, your majesty, and what the Most High has declared will happen to my lord, the king. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow and you will be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. But the stump and the roots of the tree were left in the ground. This means that you will receive your kingdom back again when you have learned that heaven rules. King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Stop sinning and do what is right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So on, on one level or another, I've been involved in starting churches for over a decade now. And one of the strangest realities I, I've seen in that world, church planting is what Christians brand everything, so we can't start churches, we plant churches, I don't know why. Uh, but one of the strange realities I've seen in that world is it's run, kind of spearheaded primarily by young people. Um, and I'm just defining young as people under 40. There are some people in the over 40 crowd uh, in the church planting world, you know, since the kind of mid-90s. They're just the exception. Like, pr primarily it's been young folks uh, leading the thing forward. And there's a lot of wonderful things about being in your 20s. Um, and some wonderful things about being in your 30s, the, the, the fewer. Like in, when you're 22, hypothetically speaking, say you were at a meeting earlier this week sitting still and you pulled a muscle out in your back. Like that doesn't happen when you're 22. That happened to me. I was in a meeting, I uncrossed my legs, tweaked my back, and been duck walk or penguin walking, you know, for five days now. That doesn't happen when you're in your 20s. Uh, and in your 20s, you're kind of filled with this youthful idealism. You have the energy for it, which you get slowly more tired usually as the years go by, but you still got plenty of energy when you're in your 20s. You got lots of passion, and you don't have enough knowledge 
to understand that what you're doing is kind of ridiculous or unrealistic. You know what I mean? So this is why people in their 20s start companies and they do have pioneering ideas or they go plant a church somewhere where, you know, us, where we have kids and mortgages and careers, we're like, well, I don't know about that. That doesn't sound so wise. Like, there's awesome things about being in your 20s. They're, you're a huge gift to the church. It's a hugely important time of life. Uh, because you do things that some of us are maybe, frankly, too scared to do, and, and we need the church to advance in that ways. Uh, as with every life stage, there's some real consequences to being young, being in your 20s. Um, one of the big problems is your, how do I say this? I should have thought through this more on my notes. Uh, one of the problems is the dreams, the ambitions tend to be more reactionary than than proactive, and, and what I mean about that is, you know, you haven't lived maybe long enough or have enough understanding or experience to know what you really want to be for, but it's a lot easier to know what you're against. So the, the reactionary dream is the one that says, we won't be like that. We're not, and this is in the DNA of Sojourn. So, you know, from day one, there, there were some things that we knew we wanted to be about, but there was also lots of things like, we're not going to be like mom and dad's church. That was kind of one of the core motivators in starting this thing, is we wanted a church that was different than mom and dad's church. And we didn't want to be like those mega churches that are so popular in Louisville. We're going to be different. And so what did that mean? Well, you know, the seeker-sensitive church, which was like the worst thing you could be in the church planting world, a seeker-sensitive church, oh my gosh. They do things like invite people to church. And they put, they put signs out that say where, where the church actually meets, not at Sojourn. What do we do? We rent out a basement, no signage. <laughs> Nobody at the door because we're not like those people. I remember the first time I visited Sojourn, we were about seven years old, eight years old, something like that. And there was a guy like standing in front of the door, but he wasn't holding the door open. You know, he was just kind of standing there with a, the Connect Team thing on. And after two or three weeks, I said to somebody, I was like, why won't anybody smile here? Like, what, what's with the coldness? And the question was just so ridiculous. You know what I mean? It, it was like, well, we're not a seeker-sensitive church, man. Like, welcome to church. And there was, there was no vision for that. But that was us saying, we're not going to be like this other thing that happened. And, you know, we would say things either implicitly or explicitly. Basically, mom and dad got it all wrong. One, this isn't just true in the church planting world. It's true of the younger crowd in general. There can be this tendency uh, to feel like you're the first people that ever existed. Um, or you're the first people to ever encounter a problem. So you'll find people in their early to mid-20s who don't keep a budget, who don't have a job, who have no money in savings, but they have a strategy for how they're going to fix, you know, the, the World Bank or bring just, you know, it's like, hey, can you tell me about the history of socialism versus capitalism or what that's brought about? And, and they're like, what are you talking about? I've read, I've done research. Research is like the 20-year-old code for I watched YouTube videos, right? Like I watched <laughs> 10, I did 10 minutes of research about economics and I'm ready to go change the world. And you, you feel like you're the first person that's considered you know, changing the minimum wage, or I don't know, all of these issues, no sense of history or what's gone before us. So we find young people filled with their passion and their dreams and their energy who are also often unwilling to listen. 
because they think that they're the only ones who've ever lived, or any number of reasons. Um, now, again, remember what I said in the beginning. If you're in that 20-year-old crowd, remember what I said in the beginning. We love you. We need you. We need your energy. And let's just pause on beating you up for a second and bring everybody into the conversation here. Uh, and I want you to take a second and put your think about my own life hat on for a second. Like, when was the last time that you really listened to somebody else? They brought you correction or advice or wisdom and you genuinely received it. And if my suspicions are right, your response is probably some version of not recently. See, we like to beat up on the 20-year-olds for not listening. But it seems to me that that refusal to listen is not unique to that stage of life in the West. The same trap of not listening can come to y'all later in life too. A guy's only 25. He just finished college. He's never had a job. He doesn't understand. Those millennials are ruining everything. And you know that's the same thing mom and dad were saying about you in 1967 or whatever. There's the same trap of thinking because of how long you've lived or what you have or have not done in your life that the younger crowd has nothing to offer to you. And so you don't listen. Our culture is incredibly individualistic, and most of us think we know best. So problems repeat themselves. The same mistakes are made generation after generation. We don't listen. We don't listen to our friends. We don't listen to our parents. We don't listen to our pastors. We don't even listen to the Word of God. And we'll read something and be like, yeah, I know it says that, but for all of these reasons, it doesn't really apply to me now, or I couldn't really believe in a God who would say blah, 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 blah. So I'll just find a way around what it says. So I say all of that to say this is what's going on in Daniel chapter 4. We get a picture of what it looks like when someone doesn't learn, when they don't listen when they don't listen to the previous generation and they don't listen to their friends, the people they trust around them. So there'll be a strong part of you know, the next 10 minutes or so that will be a warning shot to those of us who refuse to listen. We will see in vivid detail what happens when pride blinds our eyes and shuts our ears. And in there, we will receive an invitation to humble ourselves, close our mouths, and become a people who learn how to listen. Because, you know, I've been working in the church for almost 15 years now, and the, the most consistent thing that I've seen someone get fired or bring shame to the gospel or blow up their family fundamentally is a refusal to listen. Uh, the, the number one thing I think I've seen destroy ministries, destroy churches, is people who refuse to listen. And and I'm at a place now where if you want to join God in his mission, you have to become someone who knows how to listen. And, and not just knows the skill of it, but knows the value of it, the deep need we have for it. So Daniel chapter 4, there's a new king on the throne. This is a little side note. Daniel you know, 4 through 7 or 8 uh, does confusing things with places and people. Uh, this Nebuchadnezzar is the man, a man named Nabonidus who took Nebuchadnezzar's name for political purposes. It'd be like if you were running for office and you decided to legally change your last name to Trump or Obama, like whichever side you're on, okay? Like, just look at the point there. They, 
This is a man named Nabonidus. He's not related to Nebuchadnezzar, who took this guy's name to sound good and important. There's a fantastic book. If you're curious about the history around this or sorting through the confusing places and names over the next few chapters, uh, creatively, it's called Daniel. Um, We've got it. There's their picture, I think, maybe. It's up on, yeah, it's by uh, Joyce Baldwin. She's recently passed away, um, but that's for sale. And the first third or half does a great job of sorting through some of the history. For a long time, Daniel was one of those books that people were like, this is how we know the Bible is made up, because look at this weird stuff in Daniel. And it talks through all you know, recent archaeological, archaeological finds, and, and now Daniel's like one of the things like, yeah, the Bible's pretty accurate. You know what I mean? So the, if you're interested in that, the first third half of that book is, is really, really helpful. But for clarity's sake, I'm going to call him Nabonidus from here on out because it's important to know that he's not the Nebuchadnezzar that we've talked about the last few weeks. History begins repeating himself in this scenario because he has a dream, just like the king before him did. It's a frightening dream, just like the king before him. He's not sure what it means, so he calls advisors. Nobody knows what it means, just like the king before him. So, just like the king before him, he calls for this man, Daniel, that he knows is wise. He says he's full of the Holy Spirit, that he's got wisdom. And he asks Daniel to interpret the dream. Same thing. This is not necessarily the details of the dream, but in terms of what's happening here, I mean, it's the same thing that the king before him went through. And Daniel shoots him straight. So in in verse 25, he tells him, he says, you will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals. You'll eat grass like a cow and you will be drenched with the dew from heaven. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. So the core of the lesson is this last part. This is what Nabonidus does not believe. Most, the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. He's functionally living like he's the king. It's a pretty intense warning. You're going to be like a cow. Everything you love and take is going to be taken from you. You're going to be humiliated. You're going to be thrown outside the city for seven periods of time, seven years. And the next thing that we hear is in verse 29. Look at what it says here. No, oh, did I miss one? Oh, yeah, I missed one. This, you can go back there. This is important to note. I just got ahead in my notes. Sorry, everybody. Uh, this shows us the heart of Daniel, too. Like, Daniel's not proud about what the, you know, the smackdown he's laying on the king. Look at, he's pleading with him. Please accept my advice. Stop sinning and do what's right. We see what else is maybe going on with Nabonidus that's filled him with pride or what his pride has done. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you'll continue to prosper. So there's a sense that he's treating himself like God. He's oppressing the poor and the marginalized. He's using his power to lift himself up and crush those around him. This is, again, a pretty intense, clear warning from the man that he trusted. And then, verse 29, 12 months later, he was taking a walk on the flat roof of the royal palace in Babylon. So here's what's happening here. Uh, and I would guess most of you have had an experience like this. Friend brings a warning to you. Hey, man, listen, I saw the way that you're talking to that person in community group, and it didn't sit right with me. I think you've got to be careful there. Hey, man, you know, you, the way you talk to your wife, dude, it's just, it's not okay. I'm worried that this is going to happen or whatever. They, they see something and they warn you about it. And, and maybe it scared you for a minute, sobered you up for a minute, but, you know, everything didn't blow up right away. Month goes by and you're like, 
maybe it's okay. Six months go by, a year goes by, and you're like, you know what, I'm really okay. I know they said that, but look, everything's fine. You, you haven't maybe effect, uh, experienced the immediate consequences of your actions. Some, some period of time has gone by, and you can convince yourself that everything's all right. So this maniac Daniel gives me this warning about how everything's going to get destroyed, but here I am. Everything's working out pretty good. This period of time has gone by, and it's given Nebuchadnezzar time to feel like everything is all right. So here's what he says, looking out over his grand city. Uh, verse 30. Look at this great city of Babylon. By my own mighty power, I've built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. <laughs> I just think that's so funny. Can you imagine saying that over your neighborhood? Look at what I have done. Why does this exist? To display my majestic splendor. Like this is a dude who's really taken to heart the message of humble yourself before the Lord or else, right? That Daniel was crazy, man. Look at my city. Look at how powerful and wonderful I am. And as he's speaking, a voice from heaven reminds him of everything Daniel told him, and then it happens. He's driven outside the city. He goes completely insane. He eats grass like a cow. These are some of the things that make me love the Bible, these weird details. It's in, you can go read this in chapter 4. It says his hair was as long as eagle's feathers, which, you know, it's like an eagle, eagle feather. Yeah, it's about eagle. You know, I don't know. That's just a weird way to describe the length of somebody's hair. And it said his nails were like eagle's claws. Why? Because he's out there living like a maniac. He's not showering. He's not trimming his fingernails. He's not getting his hair cut. He's living like a maniac. The previous king had a dream and he wouldn't listen. A dream of a statue. And in response, he built a statue. We talked about this last week. And he threatened to kill these men of God. And he saw three of them survive a fiery furnace under the protection of a God who was in there with them. And in response, he worshipped God. He turned from trust in his own power and his own sufficiency to worshipping the living God. And his successor did not learn that lesson. His successor refused to turn from his pride to worshiping God. Listen, a lot of us are caught up in the bad night. The, the bad night is when that thing happens that you're worried just train wrecked your whole life. The, the thing that you did or the thing that you said. And there is perhaps an exception out there, but in, in my life and what I've read... The bad night is a culmination of years of not listening. I mean, God was giving you warning shots, soft, subtle, and overt, the twinge of your conscience, the kind word of a friend, the clear teaching of the scriptures, a sermon, a song on the radio. Like there, were, there was things along the way that said to you, don't do this. This will not go well for you. But you refused to listen. And... Here's what's so scary about this situation. Daniel was somebody Nabonidus trusted. D Daniel was in the inner circle, filled with the Spirit of God. He, Nabonidus will say, nobody else can do what you can do, Daniel. He brings him into the inner circle. If you won't listen to those you trust, if you won't listen to those with wisdom, if you rest in your own power and try to stand on your own majestic splendor, you will be destroyed. I mean, within moments of him reveling in his power, Nabonidus is out wandering in the wilderness. And yes, it may be from the God of heaven. 
But sometimes, man, I think we look at the wrath of God like a scud missile that God shoots from heaven. You know, like he does something and then to punish you, he fires it down on you. And, you know, one day you'll stand before the judgment seat of God and have to give account for all that you've done. So the wrath of God is a real thing that comes from God. But more often, the wrath of God, the the consequences of sin are wrapped up in the sin itself. So, for instance, a hangover is is not the wrath of God thrown at drunkenness. But if you abuse alcohol, you get a hangover. That is the consequence of it. If you lie, your shallow relationships, your loneliness, that's not punishment from God. That's you bearing the weight of what sin does. Sin destroys and tears down. And if you trust yourself more than anyone else, you will experience a furnace of your own making. You don't always know better than your friends. I cannot describe to you the amount of pain that would have been avoided in this church if people would listen to their friends. The book of Proverbs seemed to say the difference between the wise person and the foolish person is wise people listen to their friends. You don't always know better than your friends. You don't always know better than your parents. You don't always know better than your spouse. You don't always know better than your pastors. And I for sure know you do not know better than the Word of God. So real simply, where has there been a warning shot issued in your life? Where someone comes up to you and says, I'm not sure about this. Where someone comes up and says, don't talk to me this way. When someone says, I'm concerned about where are you refusing to listen? Where are you resisting God's warnings? Seven years Nabonidus lived in a mess of his own making because he refused to listen. Seven years of insanity, of ridicule, of humiliation, because he would not listen. And after seven years, he comes to this conclusion. It says he praised and worshipped the Most High, and said this, His rule is everlasting. His kingdom is eternal. All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth. The same thing Daniel warned him about years before. This was the same lesson Nebuchadnezzar learned from Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. But Nabonidus had to learn the hard way. A dear friend of me, mine, about 70, told me one time, two things seem make people change. One is pain and one is prayer. And most of us don't like praying. That's one of those things that hurts to hear from me. You know? There were decades where Nabonidus would not hear, would not listen. What I want you to hear this morning is that God is not power-hungry and insecure. He's more committed to your health and well-being than you are. He's more committed to the good of the universe than you are. The problem isn't God's insecurity. It's your lack of competency to run the universe. The reason that God will strip people of power or invites you to humble yourself is because you cannot run the universe. And if if, you need, if that isn't self-evident to you by now, I don't know what you are doing with your life. 
or something else is going on. You think you're pretty good at it, and you add a, a newborn in. Maybe you handle the newborn well, and you add a five-year-old in. Maybe you're handling that well. I, I don't know this to be true, but I've just heard it could, go, it could go poorly when you get a teenager in the home, right? When puberty hits, who knows what's going to happen. My, my point is, or whatever, you're driving to work, and someone T-bones you, and you walk differently for the rest of your life. You do not have what it takes. You are not worthy, nor are you competent to run the universe. And because of God's great love for you and this world, he will not let you run the universe. He's not just angry at Nabonidus here. He knows he's killing himself and the people around him. So listen, here are your options. Listen to the warnings of God. Listen to the invitations of God. Or be shown them. You will either hear it and live in response to it, or you will live it and face the consequences. Be a person who knows that only God's rule is everlasting. Only he is trustworthy enough to be in charge of this thing. Or you will be shown that to be true. You will run your life into the ground. Refuse to take your hands off the reins and see how that goes for you. If you have any degree of skepticism about that, ask someone with gray hair in this church. Have you ever seen somebody who's maintained control of their life, who's fought to be in control, who's seen themselves as self-sufficient, who's made this whole thing about them? Have you ever seen that work? Have you ever seen someone saying, building my life on me and my plans and my majestic splendor has been very satisfying and it's worked well for all of my relationships? Never in the human history has that, has that worked. Will you believe that? Or will you be the exception that none of the rules apply to? You get the option to listen or live it. Listen to the warning or bear the consequences of it in your life. Refuse to come under the authority of the word of God the reign of God, the rule of God, and watch what happens to your life. Christianity works because God is God. There is no other. He declares the end from the beginning and says that all of his purposes will stand and he will do all that he pleases. Can you say that about your life? Then if not, come under the authority of God. Learn to trust him. And listen, I get that this is hard, that this is foreign, um, and it can be uncertain. So every week, we come to remember why we trust him, why we can love him, why he's different than maybe what we think he is. Because of all of the ways God has shown us that we can love him, of all of the ways he said, here's why you can listen to me. He comes and lives for us. He comes and dies for us. He comes and he says on the night that he was betrayed, he takes a loaf of bread, he breaks it, and he says, this is my body broken for you. What does this mean? It means the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What does this mean? It means that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is our great evidence of God's love for us, that he is a good father and we can trust him. And after the meal, he took a cup of wine and he said, this is my blood shed for you, which seals your relationship with God. So what does this meal tell us about God? One, he loves us and shows us that by dying for us. Two, we are safe with God because it's the blood of Jesus that keeps us safe. It's not your performance. So if you're here and 
you're not a Christian, what will you do with a God who loves you this way? Who, knowing all that you've done, all that you've thought, all the ways you've refused, still pursues you, still is wooing you, still is inviting you to come to him. What will you do with a God like that? And we would plead with you to trust a God like that. Follow his lead in your life. If you want to know what that means, men and women will be up front after the service and they'd love to talk to you about that. If you are a Christian, listen to your father and obey him. And and this all starts with, do we believe he loves us and he's for us? So our tradition is to come forward, or there'll be stations in the back. We rip off a piece of bread, dip it in wine or juice. Wine will have a piece of twine wrapped around it, and you can use whichever you'd like. Uh, There'll be gluten-free elements to my left and your right. I'll pray for us, and then Christians, let's come remember our hope and taste the goodness of God's love for us. Let's pray.